Today on Bearing Witness, I want to be real transparent that we're in the middle of processing. But that tends to be the stance. That tends to be the position of folks in our community daily. Um, we are constantly processing the new onslaughts and assaults um, to justice, to essence of being, to to um, our own personage on a daily basis while dealing with all of the other things, including the aftermath and the patterns of the historical inertia in our country. Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the week's events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. And I'm Georgia Fort, an independent journalist. Ms. Georgia, when we check in today, I want to I wanna thank you again for your coverage. I know you are uh, joining us and our guests will be joining us from the road because you are out covering and doing diligence to bearing witness. So, Ms. Georgia, go ahead and run it down for us this week and, of course, our, our recent developments. Yes, uh, thank you so much, Anthony. Uh, we learned that uh, there will be a lawsuit in the case of Winston Smith. We know that he was killed by a federal task force, and uh, there has been very little transparency in this case. Uh, the initial reports from law enforcement agencies was that he was a murder suspect. We found out later that that was not true. That was inaccurate. Uh, following that, there were claims that Winston Smith had a gun. However, there has been no evidence that has been brought forth to uh, really prove that to be true. In fact, the only witness that we know of, she was in the vehicle with Winston Smith when he was killed. And she says he did not have a gun. She did not see him with the gun. He never pulled out a gun. And, uh, you know, that was something they mentioned a few weeks ago. The addition, additional information we learned was that uh, he had pulled out a cell phone and potentially had started recording on that cell phone. And so now the questions have been raised about uh, where that footage is that was on his phone. Uh, the other questions um, that have been raised is why is there, you know, this contradiction in information from the witness and what the federal task force is saying? Uh, so now with this um, lawsuit coming forward, we were told by attorneys that they're going to be naming every agency that was participating in um, this, it, it, not only the investigation, but also the death of Winston Smith, right? So they'll all be listed as defendants. Um, and there were also calls from community leaders for uh, Governor Walls to take the BCA off of investigating this, that there's some conflict between some of the investigators uh, being uh, previous employees of some of the people that they're investigating. And so uh, with Winston Smith's case, uh, it's very different than um, the other police killings that we've seen recently in our community because there is no footage. And also because this was a federal task force that operates uh, at, at under different rules. You know, uh, watching your coverage of the press conference, there was a couple of, of, of calls that were made out too, um, you know, in terms of, of um, calls to the president uh, to, to uh, get involved on a federal level, particularly because 
of of who's who's overseeing this the the U.S. Marshals in this district in this area. Um, but then also too, um, and and I need to I need, I need clarification on this. I I heard one of the members um, at during the press conference um, talking about not just uh, Winston Smith's footage, but um, being fairly confident that there 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 will be or there or, or they're they're going to be looking at uh, footage from around the area, and then there were also witnesses um, to to it. Correct. Yeah. So the uh, witness who, uh, that we know of is the woman who was in the vehicle with mm-hmm. Winston Smith, and. Another thing, Anthony, I think people should know about the the killing of Winston Smith is that he was approached by unmarked vehicles. And so put yourself in a mm-hmm. situation where, you know, a dozen vehicles that are not, you know, clearly police vehicles, right? Just a dozen plain vehicles surround you. What would your first thought be? Would you think, would you assume that it's law enforcement? You might think that, uh, these are people, regular people approaching you, attacking you. you. You know, a lot of different things could go through your mind uh, when you're seeing people get out of unmarked vehicles because you're not automatically going to assume that it's law enforcement. Uh, and so that is something to consider. That is uh, very similar to what we saw in the case of Dalal Eid, who was killed less than a mile away from George Floyd mm-hmm. on, on uh, New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve. And so, uh, again, in this situation, Uh, what we know Minneapolis to be the epicenter of this global movement, yet and still, we are continuously seeing people be killed by law enforcement. And there have been little measures put in place to prevent this from continuing to happen. In fact, with Winston Smith's case, it feels in some regard that we've digressed uh, because this is a case where there's no footage, and, and that was something that was common practice, I think, like 10 years ago hmm. for law enforcement to be wearing body camera footage for even their own protection to have a firsthand account of what actually transpired during an interaction that may go wrong. Right. And so because this is a federal task force, I think a lot of us learned from this situation that federal task forces don't actually have to wear body cameras. And that's something now that I think a lot of people are pointing to and saying this needs to change. I mean, you're, uh, to to an earlier conversation that we had, you had brought forward, um, you know, the fact that uh, the uh, sheriff's department uh, departments that were uh, collaborating with the task force that even tried are trying to distance themselves from the task force for that reason, for the for the lack of body cam reason, despite the fact that they were participating in the first race and had to know. The, the the other thing that comes to mind as you were as you were talking is um, you know being surrounded by these unmarked folks. Um, uh, I also heard one of the attorneys in the press conference that you were covering um, speak to the fact that they did not announce themselves. Um, and, and it's part of what they're bringing forward in the lawsuit, that that they have a duty to announce themselves as police officers or, or law enforcement and didn't do it. Further adding to, you know, the the you know, the the thought process around what happens in a bunch of vehicles surround you. I, I think it's important to to pull forward uh, an experience or a pattern that is experienced by people of color, black folks in particular, around quote unquote citizen um, arrest or citizen, um, you know, citizens taking on their own right to police the bodies and the experience of black and brown uh, peoples. It, it, it is, I have encountered it 
throughout my life as, as well of folks in community who take it upon themselves to try to, to determine w- what I should be doing or who I should be. I mean, we, we got to remember that this uh, our recent um, uh, psyches begins, uh, well, for many folks, begins with Trayvon Martin in a quote-unquote citizen um, you know, trying to take it upon themselves to do what law enforcement said not to do uh, directly. And so I can only imagine that going through the mind. I have been in tense situations myself where somebody assumes who I should be or, or what I should be doing and takes a threatening stance towards me to the point where I feel like I need to defend myself. In this case, uh, we see that the witness is saying that he's pulling out a cell phone because the the weapon that we seem to have now is camera footage. And so, you know, this this case is just un- becoming more and more disheartening the more data that we got coming in. Um, I'm curious, uh, what uh, what are the next steps from what you are seeing um, in terms of the case and in terms of, of this lawsuit that's being brought? Is it being brought on behalf of the witness or, or on behalf of, of, of Winston Smith himself? I, I missed that part of the live stream. Uh, from my understanding, I believe it is on behalf of the witness. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, our guest can clarify that. But, uh, you know, it, as you know, whenever there is a, a a case like this, it is going to be a, it's likely going to be a lengthy process. Um, and so uh, we are working to stay in communication with the attorneys so that we can receive updates uh, as they happen in, in following this, but, you know, Anthony, the, the biggest thing with the Winston Smith case, I think that we should really all be asking ourselves is why has the uh, head of the federal task force here in Minnesota not made a statement about this Mm -hmm. and why, why is there a lack of evidence, right? Even Mm -hmm. the claims that Winston Smith shot, um, Michelle Gross, the president of Communities United Against Police Brutality, pointed out that there was no testing done on Winston Smith's hands. You know, if you pull a trigger, you would have um, gunpowder, you would have residue on your hands. And so that would be uh, very valuable evidence to prove hmm. their claims. And so the fact that that evidence is not there, there is absolutely nothing to corroborate their claims that Winston Smith uh, shot at them. In fact, what we've been seeing in this particular case is a pattern that the things that they're saying turn out to not be true. People should really be um, asking questions and asking for transparency in this case because it is very concerning that we are just one year, you know, post George Floyd, and and here we are with this situation that it appears uh, they're they're trying to have this go under the radar, and it's very concerning. It, you know, and, and and again, timing this this season that we are covering has has a, a very. Um, you know, the timing has been a very important thing. Um, right now, we are coming up on the, or we have just passed the end of a special session um, to which we have seen uh, many of the things that we were hoping to be passed. Um, in terms of reforming police, um, we fell quite short. Um, they've reached an agreement on a budget deal that's going to be signed uh, by the governor. But I know many folks are, are seeing, and, and this just underscored by the Winston uh, Smith case, that um, 
we, we aren't seeing the legislative reforms that we wanted to see, and we had hoped that this momentum would put in front of us. We heard Representative Carlos Mariani um, disheartened about the things that were left onto the table in that regard um, as we move forward. It continues to be a negotiation for something we see clearly as a problem, at least in the communities who are affected. I, I want to bring in our guest now um, who uh, from the Minnesota Coalition, Justice Coalition, Jonathan McClellan, um, and uh, to, to talk more about not just what we've been discussing already, but of course, he's been, uh, uh, the Minnesota Justice Coalition and, and Jonathan himself has been doing major work with uh, on the legislation around this work. And so we want to bring in some of that perspective. Uh, so, Brother Jonathan, you've been listening to our conversation. So what's coming up for you as you've been listening to us put together some of these patterns and some of this information? Um, one of the things that came up is is after the murder of uh, Winston Smith, I reached out to some of my counterparts in Washington, D.C. to inquire about um, the use of body camera footage and what is being done uh, uh, federally around those, those areas and, and to try to get a feel of what um, how people are feeling about it uh, uh, at a federal level. And I was uh, told that there was a, a bill, um, H.R. 1163, um, in Congress that, that is, has been introduced to require all federal uh, law enforcement officials and uh, to be armed with body cameras um, when they're out uh, uh, dealing with the public. But I was also made aware that um, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act House File uh, 1280, which passed in Congress, um, also had that provision in, the, in there as well to require um, body cameras to be worn by all federal officials. I think that in light of what we're, what we're hearing and what we're seeing, like I stated in the press conference, if it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's a duck. And um, what we have here is we have a cover up. Um, uh, this didn't this this just didn't happen in a vacuum. We've had plenty of reports and and history with these uh, defunct uh, task forces that have been put together um, with the federal government, um, such as the gang strike force um, that that was consistently violating the law. And here we are again. Now we have another uh, uh, task force. Um, that has taken the life of, of Winston Smith. And this time we have a witness to it. And um, we also have a, a real live cover up. The governor came out and said in, in a conversation that we had, as well as in, a, in, a, in making a public in his public statement that he's been in contact with the White House to try to get information and they're stonewalling him. So if they're going to stonewall the governor of, of the state of Minnesota, you can only imagine what they're doing to the public. Um, and and what all we want is, is, is accountability and transparency, and we can't have reconciliation without that. So if we're to have any type of progress, um, it has to be uh, uh, start with, with uh, transparency and accountability. And that's, that's, that's what I have to say on the, on the Winston Smith uh, uh, case going on right now that I can get into. And Jonathan, I know that you uh, were very um, involved in presenting and pushing eight pieces of legislation surrounding police accountability. Now, uh, during the special session, it sounds like some of those bills went through, but not all of them. For people who have not been as leaned in and following uh, the legislation piece. Could you kind of give a, qu a quick uh, overview of what was presented, what made it through, and uh, how you and your colleagues feel about the pieces of legislation that didn't pass? 
Yes. Um, so at the beginning of the session, there, there was what happened was is uh, during the special session last year in 2020, a lot of us uh, organizations uh, got together and put our heads together and found out what we all were working on. And we decided to to form a partnership to advance these reforms and and try to make this change happen, um, not just uh, uh, in the minds, but also in the policy. And and so some of those pieces of legislation that we were pushing was ending qualified immunity, um, access to body camera footage um, within 24 or within 48 hours, um, and ending the statute of limitations on wrongful death, uh, ending no-knock warrants, police professional liability insurance, ending police-only responses to mental health calls, civilian oversight strengthened, ending prosecution for reporting police misconduct, and creating an independent investigatory and prosecutory body. Out of all these pieces of legislation, the only piece of legislation that made it in this uh, current legislation was a watered-down version of ending no-knock warrants. And that's all, that's all that made it. The police um, passed um, some legislation that increased penalties for individuals who assaulted cops. Um, and this, this, is, this was a real, a real uh, upsetting time um, for us when we were down at the Capitol. Um, they, they made it so if, you, if, if one of those bystanders would have pushed Derek Chauvin off of, off of uh, uh, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin would have got injured in any kind of way, they're facing a mandatory 10 years to 25 years in prison with a mandatory 10 years. They also got anti-doxing um, legislation that makes it, I don't know if people don't know, know what anti-doxing is. It's when you might have a, a profile on social media that may be fake and you find out who it is or somebody in the community um, uh, uh, does something and people go around and they say, we need to find this person and who they are um, who, who committed this wrong. Um, and if the individual did not want their information to be public, now it's a crime to, to make that information public. And, and that's another thing that they got. They also got, um, they also got uh, uh, funding for body cams. They got uh, uh, other grants for local cops. Um, they got uh, $1 million for a violent and for a crime force uh, a task force. Um, they got uh, more money for the DNR agents, for body cams. And they got a special carve out for that uh, assaulting cops, judges, prosecutors. Um, and then they got uh, law enforcement salary increases. Um, and the people got the short end of the stick. Um, we did get the Hardell Sherrill Act, which reforms uh, how service is given um, in, in the jails. Um, we got a watered down no knock bill, which really doesn't do nothing. Um, we got uh, uh, the post board money for, to, for training for uh, Alzheimer's and, and, and dementia training. Um, and then we got uh, uh, the Flando Castile training and funding. Um, and then we got Travis's law, um, which requires that dispatch uh, um, send um, joint partners um, for mental health um, issues. Um, and then we got some form of asset forfeitures as well. And none of this legislation that passed includes any police accountability legislation. One of the big pieces of police accountability legislation that we were pushing was ending the statutory limitations on wrongful death. Um, the, the, the statute of limitations is currently three years. And what this bill that we were pushing would allow the families, it gave a five-year 
period for uh, families to bring forward a case. Um, and we didn't get, we couldn't get that. And that, and primarily when we met with, with the governor and we met with the speaker of the Senate, these were the issues that were, that they were pushing, that we were pushing. And we thought that we had moved the needle on these, on, on those issues, but we didn't. Kobe's law, which is uh, releasing body camera footage within 48 hours to the family. Keep in mind, this isn't to the public. This is to allow the family to view what happened to their loved one. This is a piece of legislation that was written, um, for, Kobe Heisler. Um, his mom had to wait almost a year to, to look at the footage and find out what happened to her son. And she was trying to work with them, trying to see the body camera footage. And this is something that you hear when, when I wrote that piece of legislation, it was a common thread that you were hearing throughout all the cases um, was the releasing of the body camera footage and how the time clock is ticking. And to keep in mind, right now, there's only a three-year statutory limitations. So while you're trying to grieve, while there's false narratives put out about your loved one and you're trying to correct those and everything else that's going on, the clock is ticking. Another thing is, is that we, we are also finding that law enforcement intentionally botches these investigations. They lose evidence. On um, one of the cases, um, there was a, a, a Freedom of Information Act request put in and uh, uh, two of them and specifically asking for any type of body camera footage, video, audio, uh, dash cam video. And they they said that there was none. And you fast forward 11 years later, we, we uh, got in contact with an outfit out of Hollywood uh, who put in a, a Freedom of Information Act request uh, for a press request. And sure enough, a body camera footage emerged out of that. Mm. And the statute of limitations is expired, so they can't bring that case forward. And this is what they're doing. It's similar what they what they did with Winston Smith, where here it is that they, they're making the, the claim that, that he had a weapon and that he fired a weapon and they don't test his hands for that for residue. Um, they wash his body and then it's done. And, and this is the type of intentional uh, 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 botching of these investigations, these cover-ups that happen um, uh, with these agencies that are supposed to be investigating uh, law enforcement. Um, and, and this is what one of the, some of the stuff that we're pushing back. We, we believe that, as, that there needs to be accountability, transparency, so that these victims can get justice because the families will never get justice because we can't bring back um, the, the, the loved ones um, that were, were murdered and killed by killer cops. Um, but what we can do is we can push legislation um, to to provide uh, uh, this accountability and transparency. And where we see the pushback from law enforcement is the pillars that police officers typically run uh, behind and hide when they kill somebody. And that's just wrong. It is. You know, it, what, what's striking here is that is that there was a feeling of so much momentum because of our current situation. But when you lay out the legislative uh, realities, a lot of that felt momentum, at least in the public zeitgeist, begins to erode. Your examples, um, you know, not only illuminate that, um, but but it's a poignant point about the washing of the body, right? I, I, I take away the ability to prove one way or the other, which which in our past practice, right? Biases the, the you know, he said, she said portion of this to, to now um, be in a place where we can't prove, <laughs> um, you can't, it, it, it seems to me that, that, that um, there could be some solace in there and that you can't prove that he had a gun now because you've taken away some of your evidence, but our past 
um, our past court uh, precedent um, tends to favor law enforcement in this regard. And so it puts you right back into that space of feeling like justice can't be served. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm reading today also, um, you know, that some legislation has been successful in other states banning even the reduction of police force budgets, right? So so if you wanted to do a major restructure of public safety in your area, and some of the states that we have now, you, there's now a, you can't make an adjustment that, that, that um, decreases 5%, even if it's a restructuring or a completely imagining of a new thing. Um, it, it's, it puts blocks in the way of even being able to address the issue as it is. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, what other opportunities are there? If this is how this is shaking out, what are the opportunities on the table to continue to do the kind of reforms that community has been calling for for years? Right. What we have, well, the, the, the silver lining in all of this is that if there is one, um, is that this was a budget year um, in the legislature uh, and next year is a policy year. So the legislation that we propose this year is going to be alive next year. So we have another crack okay. at the apple, uh, another crack at the apple next year um, to continue this this fight into the Senate. Um, the time and, and, and that we spent in the House, we don't have to put the energy there. What we have to do is we have to crack the back of the of the Senate um, if we can. And and in addition to that. Um, you know, the governor and the legislature made a promise that there was going to be no uh, 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 budget without police accountability legislation. And they and they and they reneged on that promise. Um, so we also have to hold their feet to the fire. And I also want to point out that this isn't just a Republican issue. This is that we had Democrats that were pushing back these moderate Democrats um, as Martin Luther King referred to him as, who thought, who think that we should wait for a better season and a better time. And, and, uh, and we're saying that we must take a side. They must take a side. Um, the side of accountability, transparency, and justice are the side of the status quo because we're not going back. We're going to be continue pushing this legislation. We're going to continue fighting these legislate this legislation. Um, one of the, the big things that one of the biggest seats, um, that, that will be up. Um, is is uh, the Maple Grove seat where Warren Limmer, um, he's the chair of the Judiciary Committee. And for, for at least a decade, this is where legislation goes to die. That's what he knows. And whenever you have a committee with, that's, that, that's uh, notorious for, for having the reputation of this is where legislation goes to die, you don't need to be in office no more because that's what holds up progress for the state of Minnesota. And so um, we have a candidate that's running against uh, uh, Warren Lemmer, her name is Bonnie Westland. Uh, another silver lining is, is what they did was is they gave us more time to pass, to write more legislation. And Representative John Thompson, um, who's a powerful ally in this fight, um, uh, 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 pushing a, a piece of legislation that targets the, the pensions of law enforcement officers who break the law um, while un, uh, under the color of law and in uniform. Um, going after the taxpayer portion of their pensions. Um, so we're going to be going after the money. We're going to continue to push qualified immunity. We're going to continue to push the 48-hour uh, uh, bill. We're going to continue to push the, the uh, removing the statute of limitations on wrongful death. And it's only a matter of time when we get it. One day, all of our legislation is going to get pushed through. Um, and, and you can get on this train and uh, help help form some of these these ideas, or you can get out the way and get ran over by that train. But either which way, we're moving forward. 
you know, we've seen you work uh, so tirelessly in the community to bring forth change, uh, specifically surrounding police accountability. And uh, some folks uh, would be discouraged uh, by the fact that there were so many pieces of legislation that did not pass. And, you know, the uh, political aspect of how all of this stuff works. And you know, then now you had to get into backing a candidate in order to flip the Senate and you know, all of these different strategies uh, that you have had to pivot to in order to bring about the change that you want to see in the community. And so I'm just curious, what is it that keeps you moving forward uh, with with this advocacy and this work and and how is it that you uh, don't get discouraged? What is it that keeps you in this fight and keeps you pressing forward despite all of the obstacles and the fact that we're continuing to see black men in our community killed by police? Yes, I, I, uh, I started this over 15 years ago and a lot of people don't know that, but I've been pushing legislation um, back during the Pawlenty administration uh, when I was brought into it from other political leaders um, who taught me the ropes and showed me how to advocate, how to build relationships and how to take my understanding to that next level. And, and here I am today um, and I have a family. And when I, when I think about my own children and I think about generations before, before me and, and in the 1960s and 70s and what happened after the murder and our assassination of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King when they, when they specifically targeted our leaders. And, and I don't want my children to have to face the same challenges that we face today. It's my job as a man, as a black man, to stand up for my kids and all of our children's futures. And it needs to happen in our time so they can go on and live a carefree life, um, whatever they can. And I think that that's kind of the general sentiment for a lot of other people out here is that, you know, we, we, it's our duty uh, um, to, to make sure that our children don't suffer the way that we're suffering now, um, to make sure that, that, that little black boys and little black girls live in peace and, and, uh, and uh, uh, be happy and not worried about uh, uh, being killed by the police. Um, and and where race isn't a race isn't an issue. And so we're gonna we're gonna continue fighting. And, and I think that that's what keeps me grounded. And that's what keeps me pushing ahead. Is is that fight? Is that fight for our children? It's it's for our future. One of the things I'd really love is 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 to get to, uh, some background on the Minnesota Justice Coalition. Uh, I know that folks in my community have seen you in the press conferences. They've seen you put these and 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 so so clearly put on the table um, what some of the the legislative mechanisms are that we want to pull in order to address this concern within communities of color. Can you tell us a little bit about the Minnesota Justice Coalition and and you know in a, in a general sense, just so we can have that in our minds, you know, as we continue to see the work that you're doing. Right. Uh, one of the things when, when I founded the Minnesota Justice Coalition, I saw I saw uh, different advocacy organizations from uh, coming from all different areas. But there was one area where I wasn't seeing enough advocacy um, 
uh, and boots on the ground. And that was in the legal community and in, in, in uh, uh, um, the court system. So I, I founded the Minnesota Justice Coalition to pull in legal tacticians to be able to utilize um, their skills to, to fight and be a part of this movement. And that's, and that's where we, we bring that fight. And, and it also um, provides a, the ability to tap into the policy and the, the legislative initiatives that you typically don't see um, when, we're, when we're out here and we're doing what we need to do with other organizations because we're, we're, we focus on, on, on a lot of individuals who are harmed in the community. Uh, we focus on community, um, but as part of change and that change agent, um, you have to remember that when Martin Luther King was was marching, he was also pushing policy and legislation. He was in those back rooms. He was having those conversations. He was holding those people accountable, and uh, um, and and that's how we were able to get the the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And and to date, you know, there hasn't really been anything substantive to since the 60s. Um, so here we are after. Uh, post George Floyd, and and we're, we're we're in this situation, and we're and we're still not getting where we need to be. Um, so so Minnesota Justice Coalition is all about pushing that policy. We're all about using whatever tools we have in the toolbox, um, both legally um, with the courts and with legal tacticians across the state to try to advance um, these reforms and 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 building relationships. Um, so we can lean on those relationships to to accomplish some of these missions that we have. Well, thank you so much for giving that that synopsis. And you know, it it, it reminds me of what um, it, it reminds me of the multiple arms, the multiple fronts. So we started our conversation today talking about yet again we're in a space of having to deal with multiple things at the same time while living lives. In this society, and so one of the things that we always like to close on in, in, in our show is checking in with everybody to see how are you being you, and we ask that question that way very specifically. Throughout all of this, um, we want to check in with our community members. How are you being you in this moment? You can take that however you want it, um, but but we want to give you an opportunity to check in with us and to market for the archives. How are you being you in this moment? Beyond, you know, in and around the the amazing work that you're doing, trying to keep this thing, these things in front of us. How are you being you in this moment? Well, for for me, for me, it's 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 spending time with my my children whenever I can. Um, I also uh, support other families who lost loved ones to police violence. Um, I, I, I have to give them a shout out, family supporting families against police violence because they, they work so hard to also try to bring this advocacy um, forward. And it's, 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 it's just bringing that human peace um, um, to the conversation and being able to have those conversations and just be yourself um, in those moments. And I, I think that, that sometimes, you know, if, if, if you don't take that time out for yourself, um, for your family, for your friends, for your people, for your community that that you can get lost um, in this. And, and you have to have something that keeps you grounded um, and focused. And, and for me, it's the relationships that I have. Miss Georgia, I know you're in the field. I'm really curious, how are you being you in this moment running between this continued and thankful coverage? I, I think that's it. You know, I have fully accepted that my role in the revolution, so to say, is by by documenting it and um, 
lines, but you know, the, the, the saying, the revolution will not be televised, but it will be live streamed. <laughs> and so I am continuing to amplify voices that are often left out of mainstream media coverage. And I think uh, for me, I have even m- more recently uh, gotten a renewed sense of the importance of the work that I do uh, because of some of the missteps that these mainstream media outlets uh, took while covering specifically Winston Smith's case and uh, just being able to compare and contrast. And so I'm being me by continuing to amplify the stories that are important in our community and starting to build an infrastructure to to build in and train other people to do this work as well. Well, thank you both for sharing and checking in with that. You know, one of the things that's that's been center point for me I get thrust into is the historical context piece to connect the dots of these patterns. I was with a group of students today and we were having a discussion around these historical patterns, specifically around the question of what barriers are you putting up for yourself to not only keep yourself healthy, but also to put in front of you that critical mindset. And these babies went in. And it was very clear that the attempts to cover up and dismantle and and, and disrupt our connections to these historical patterns throughout our history is definitely functioning to try to confuse and to fracture so that we can't so so that there's an interruption of rallying to the legislative uh, fight that we need to holding front and bearing witness to the reality in front of us in your work miss georgia and so that's how i'm i'm being me in this moment is to be very unapologetically clear about the repetition of these patterns racially throughout our entire history. I want to thank you both. Thank you, uh, Jonathan McClellan, um, founder of the Minnesota Justice Coalition. Thank you, Ms. Georgia, for for putting this and keeping us again in live coverage. And I'm going to kick it over to Ms. Georgia to end as we always do. In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing. This is Bearing Witness. This has been Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, a part of the Racial Reckoning Project, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities, KMOJ Radio, and the Minnesota Humanities Center with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>